0: This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 104. Working Class Audio. Navigating the world of recording with a
1: working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Goudreau.
0: Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session number 104 you're listening to, brought to you by our friends over at Gearsluts.com, Focal Monitors, Universal Audio, and Audio Technica. Yes, and uh, got a great guest for you today, as usual. Another another person in the trenches that we don't all know about, but a a great guest great working guy, nonetheless. And I'm talking about Andy DeGuara from a and Studios in Sunnyvale, California. Andy and I met at the Music Expo at uh, the Expression Center in Emeryville, California, a few weeks back. And I was, uh, stopping in to say hello to John Paterno and, uh, some other friends, uh, Brian Loudenslager from, uh, Lawton Audio. And, um, uh, Andy and Brian were talking and we uh introductions were made and long story short I, as I spoke to Andy it's it's the usual case with me you know I have a conversation with somebody and I realize oh this person is an in the trench kind of person this person is working uh in audio to try to make a living and uh has been doing it for a while so I asked Andy if he'd be into being on the show and he agreed so he's on the show so coming up Andy DeGuara of uh, AND Studios Really interesting. And if, um, I'll just point it out now, uh, Andy uh, not only works out of a a studio that he has in Sunnyvale, uh, but he also has a a studio in his backyard uh, that he built with a tough shed. So if you're interested, if you go to the Working Class Audio website on Andy's page, you'll see pictures of the tough shed studio that he built. It's like this um, prefab kind of a thing. You know, you lay down a slab And then you have the tough shed folks come on in and they put up the walls and the roof and it's a, basically it's a blank slate. So you can just build onto it, whatever you want. So Andy talks about that in our interview, but, uh, go check out those photos. It's pretty interesting. Got me thinking. I was like, Hmm, maybe I want a tough shed. So anyways, Andy DeGuar coming up here on the Working Class Audio podcast. So a bit of a tribute here, um, Many of you know, if you watch the news at all and you don't live in the Bay Area, you may have seen on the national news, we had a pretty major fire here in uh, the Bay Area in Oakland at uh, the Ghost Ship Warehouse Space. Not a place I've been to before, but, um, you know, very popular place. And unfortunately, we lost uh, a number of lives in uh, that fire. And one of those I just wanted to, you know, bring attention to, and that was Barrett Clark, uh, who's a sound engineer uh, who worked at uh, the bottom of the hill, the mezzanine, the DNA Lounge, uh, to name a few, here in the Bay Area. And uh, I didn't know Barrett, but uh, I just wanted to say, you know, just a few words, just to recognize that, uh, you know, we lost uh, what uh, what I would categorize as as a working class audio professional that uh, certainly would have been right at home here on the Working Class Audio podcast. And I think uh, somebody that everybody could identify with uh, based on what I've conversations I've had and things I've read. Uh, Like I say, I didn't know Barrett, but um, there is a, um, an article in the sfgate.com, which I will post, have a look at it. You know, it's just, it's good to um, read about uh, what a, what a great individual Barrett was. I don't know, just kind of take, take your time and, read it and really, uh, just think about, uh, how fortunate we are to, to do what we do. And I'm just, um, as you can tell by the tone of my voice, I'm just, I don't know what to say. Uh, I, even though I didn't know him, I just, I feel, uh, quite saddened by his loss and I'm sure those who did know him are devastated. So I, I can't even imagine. So anyways, um, just raising a coffee cup here to Barrett Clark. All right. So, um, moving forward, um, you know, we're on episode number, uh, one Oh four here. And, uh, as we head into the holiday season and just kind of on, uh, another note of just being thankful, just really happy that, uh, I've got you all as listeners, uh, really happy that, uh, we're, headed to the holiday season. And I just want to wish all of you a safe and, uh, happy holiday season. Uh, no matter how you celebrate what you do. Uh, I hope it's a positive one and I hope your next year is, is also quite positive. So yeah, got some good things planned and, uh, I look forward to bringing them to you. It's going to, I'm taking my time. So I know I, I tend to mention stuff a bit and then I bring it out. Uh, We'll, we'll see what the new year brings. Got some ideas and uh, some plans in the works. And I'm actively working on some uh, changes to the working class audio ecosystem. You know, I always love that word ecosystem. So there it is. So um, I think it's time to get on with it. I think we need to talk with Andy and I need to stop talking. So, so I'm happy to bring the interview here with our friend Andy to you. So here he is, Andy DeGuara here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I have my coffee. I'm loaded for questioning. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start, I think, with today, because it's. I always like to get a perspective on the past by talking about what what's going on today. And what I mean by that is, tell me about your studio, tell me about your day-to-day, and tell me about uh, what's your current state of affairs.
1: Well, uh, right now, it's... Uh kind of all upside down, and I'm still trying to figure all that out. I currently have a uh, five-month old son. He'll be five months old this week, so I'm still trying to get in the routine of what's going on with that. Up until we had him, I pretty much was a full-time audio engineer working in studios. I've owned a studio for, for many years, which is A&D Studios. 2014, I was forced to shut down that building due to it being sold. They have since then, tore it down and built condos in its place. And unfortunately, that's a very common thing around here is to tear down tons of industrial stuff and build condos that nobody can afford. So two years ago when I, or no, 2014, when I, when I closed my studio, I was fortunate enough to uh, be working with uh, Mission College for several years. And they had just finished building a brand new um, building on campus there that housed a brand new recording studio that was a space designed as a recording studio. And so uh, with that being said, I I was talking to the teacher and the music director over there, and uh, they said pretty much in order for them to keep their funding, they have to keep uh, the studio occupied, I think it's 70% of their time. Uh, And right now they only have like one recording class a week in there. So they've invited me to come over and basically rent their space from them at a a very good rate to be able to run my studio out of their recording facility.
0: So that's a win-win because not only do you get inexpensive rent, you get a place that you didn't have to build.
1: I didn't have to build it. I don't have to pay for electricity or water. And they get to keep all of their their funding in place. They keep their funding in place. And I've actually gone one step further with them and, and have brought some of my equipment over to the studio for them to use. Just certain things like I that I wanted to use. I, I brought my console over there. I have an Atari Series 54 console. They had built it, ideally planning to go with the Pro Tools HDX system and uh, a, a surface control type thing. Um, but they didn't really have any patch bays in place or anything like that. So we had having routing issues uh, trying to keep it as a commercial type of facility. And my console was in storage at that point. And I pretty much just, hey, I got to the point where I can no longer afford to pay the storage fees on this thing. I either got to sell it or I got to put it somewhere. And, you know, I'd love to u- love to keep it, love to bring it in here. If you guys want to use it, we can use it. And everybody wins with it. And they finally said, sure, let's bring it in. So uh, it's now sitting over there. We use it on a daily basis. How long did you have the other place for, did you say? I opened it up in 2000. So it was about 13 years. 13, 14 wow. years. A lot of time and money invested there. There was. Uh, it, it was kind of uh, kind of heartbreaking to have to close it down. I mean, I, I still miss the place. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it was something that I pretty much built from the ground up for myself. You know, uh, I did all the construction, building it out. A lot of changes over the years, uh, getting things right, different acoustical treatments uh, and stuff. But for the most part, it was, it was a, a pretty uh, good place to work. It was very comfortable. Everybody always really enjoyed the vibe there. That's always key when the vibes, right? Yes. <laughs> it definitely helps make for better music.
0: <laughs> you don't have to have the world's most well-equipped studio with all the best gear in the world. But if it is, if your vibe is right, you're just, you're
1: golden. I, I always tell people that, I mean, the gear is nice. I, I'm, I'm a gearhead. I like a lot of gear. Um, uh, and most, I think engineers are to a certain extent, but, uh, you know, at the same token, I always look at it as like that gear just makes my job easier. You know, if I don't have it, I can still make it happen. It just may take me a little longer, a little bit more trial by error, you know. But, but if, like you said, if you got a good vibe, man, the performances just come out. I mean, you get to the point where you just stick just about any microphone anywhere and you get something good. It, it, it's great when you got great musicians, great vibe. So, so what makes up the bulk of your work? Who's your client base? Um, Mostly it's independent independent artists uh, songwriters, people like that uh, I, I work in 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 all genres of, of music um, everything from rap hip hop to rock, jazz um, blues so I I have a pretty wide variety of, of clientele uh, as far as that's concerned. But the majority of my artists that I'm working with are, are the independent people, people trying to put out their own stuff, uh, small label stuff. I have worked with uh, a few larger projects, a few larger labels and stuff over the years. It's just I found uh, a, a good niche, I guess, for the for the singer-songwriter type person.
0: And how do people typically find you? Like, how have you, how have you established a reputation?
1: Most of it's been word of mouth and internet searches. Uh, owning the studio has definitely helped. Just for the fact that, you know, people Google recording studio in South Bay or in San San Francisco Bay Area and and A&D studios would show up in the search engine and and you just kind of get random calls. But it's funny because I I probably could say 85 to 90 percent of my clientele over the years I can trace back to one particular project. You know, of some sort, you know, this, I did this project and then this person contacted me and then through that project, this other person contacted me and and it all kind of links back to one or two key projects that I I had done. And it's funny because those were like some of my first projects and uh I listened to them now and I'm like, God, I, I wonder why I did things like this. <laughs> like,
0: like those types of music or that your engineering was at a particular time? A little bit of both. I, I, I think that's a universal thing I, I that we all go through
1: <laughs> listening back and going, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Who's this guy? I mixed that like that and <coughs> I did this project. <laughs> But no, overall, it's been it's been really good. I haven't had anything that it's been too bad that I'm like, God, I just wish I was never on that record. It's definitely uh, kept things going really well for me over the years.
0: Your overhead compared to the old place, obviously, is significantly less.
1: Yes. I find myself working a little bit less at the school because it's a school, even though it's a full fledged recording studio that uh, is in a space designed as a recording studio, has great acoustics, uh, great space to really work in. It's hard to convince people to record at a school, especially commercial clients that that are looking to have the experience. They kind of say, "Oh, it's at a it's at a college, uh, you know." I, I'm not sure, you know, what kind of vibe's going to be there and what what it's going to be like, and is there going to be kids around and all that. And truthfully, there's there's not kids around. I mean, we're when I'm renting the place out, it's it's my place. It's there's no kids coming in and out. Uh, it's locked off to them. It, the great thing is it gives me the ability to work with the recording class that's there and possibly pull some some interns and assistants from it so so in that respect it, it's really great but the thing of it is even with working a little bit of less on the recording side of things i'm making just as much money because i don't have the overhead that i that i had at the studio it, it's really nice i don't have to pay the monthly rent i'm just paying a, a small small fee for when i'm uh using the facility that's great yeah, so I'm only paying for it when I'm there. It's not a monthly fee. Uh, like I said, there's no electric electric bills, no um, water to pay. I, I have my insurance that I have to keep up. I have an insurance policy I have to keep up on. And uh, I saved my, my phone line from the old studio. I brought it to my house, and I have a home studio here now as well that I do a lot of mixing and editing and mastering out of. And that's, for the most part, my expenses. You know, your typical, you know— telephone insurance and, and, and you know whatever i, I buy
0: <laughs> what about internet
1: that's that's on with the telephone i do have uh internet connection here
0: wow you basically wiped out rent electrical water and you only pay your for your phone and your insurance and i'm sorry and and i'm confused are you you are paying for your internet
1: yes i am paying for internet but it's tied okay. in with the phone phone bill so that's that's a significant savings.
0: And you also said you don't pay for it when you're not using it?
1: Yes, that's correct. They only charge me for the for the hours that I'm in there using it. Uh, so, so what I've set up at this point is I go over there and do all my tracking over there. And then if there's anything like mixing that I can do without the client being present, I bring it here to my home studio, do all the mixing here, all the editing here. If the client wants to be present for the mixing process or he wants to use the large console to mix on, um, and then we'll do it over there. And, and, you know, I've got to charge him the hourly rate like I normally would. Uh, and, and in turn, I have to pay for the hours. I'm there for the hourly rate. But It
0: seemed, seems like you've really stumbled upon a fantastic opportunity at a perfect time in your life. I mean, I know the, you know, as a parent, I know that that stage you're at with a five-month-old, those are, <laughs> not to sound dramatic, but those are treacherous times, especially on the sleep schedule for you and your wife.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, that's... Definitely getting some use, getting used to here. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it definitely helps a lot. You know, my wife works during the day. So this has given me the ability to to um, watch my son during the day, take care of childcare so we don't have to pay for childcare, and then, you know, book my sessions, even if I have to go to the school to record them in the evenings, weekends. And if I'm not there, I've got the ability to come in here and my home studio here and, and work for several hours. Uh, I actually went a little further than a home studio, I guess, when I put this place together. Um, once we found out that uh, my wife and I were were pregnant and having a baby we have a two bedroom house and the second bedroom originally was our office uh, that I converted into a little mix room temporarily when I closed the old studio down being that we having a having a baby we needed the second room again so I oh, yeah. I was forced to clear that out and uh, I'm lucky enough to where we actually have a fairly good sized backyard and I went out and I purchased a tough shed it's a 12 by 24 room. They basically put up the existing structure. I put a concrete slab down for it. They put the outside walls up before it. And then I came in afterwards and soundproofed the entire room and turned it into a mix room. And this is where I'm working out of uh, at home here now. Wow. (laughs) So what does a tough shed cost? For the size I got, it was about $8,000. So not cheap, not cheap but uh overall, well worth it you know i I was looking at it i was i had a what was it a ten by twenty storage unit indoor storage unit uh from when I closed the studio down, just to house all the gear I had it was costing me i think it was about three hundred and fifty dollars a month just, uh-huh. just for storage. And I, I dealt with that for about a year and a half and it got to the point where I was just like, you know, what? it just isn't worth it anymore. So the, the tough shed that I built, uh, that I got, uh, like I said, it's, it's uh 12 by 24 in the interior from the back wall. I came in five feet and built another wall to create like a, a, a five foot closet, five foot deep closet that goes the uh, full length of the building. Uh, so it's about 12 feet long. And, uh, I just have that thing packed full of spare gear, you know, all the, all the stuff that I don't normally use on a daily basis. Uh, it works as a mic locker. I have lots of microphones and that also cut up the dimensions of the room to where it's not divisible by itself anymore. So acoustically it, it works out really well. And then uh, the main room I've gone ahead and, uh, built racks. And like I said, I soundproofed the whole room, put two layers of sheet rock on the room, green glue, uh, rocks all safe and sound in the insulation, spent a lot of money on a, a very good soundproof door. And and I can be out here working at two o'clock in the morning and I don't disturb anybody. So uh, it, it's really nice.
0: Well, so this is great. So even if you were to lose the spot at the school, yes you are covered on mixing and editing and mastering and
1: yeah, I I actually built the room here big enough to fit my console in. Uh, I put a four foot wide door in purposely so that way there I could just roll it right in and it should fit with like two inches of spare on each side.
0: I have to ask, and I only ask this because of the, this recent fire in Oakland,
1: Uh um, do you, is, th- is there only one door in and out or are there two? There is only one door in and out. Uh, um, and, and, I, you know, I did build all this to code. So mm. uh, based off of the size of the building and stuff, um, that it is to code. Uh, the city knows that it's back here and everything else. Um, they didn't have any problems with only, only one door. There's no windows in the place. You know, I, I mm-hmm. kept it no windows for soundproofing reasons and again, my soundproofing was more to keep sound in than to keep sound out because I don't plan on doing a whole lot of recording here. And you probably
0: don't plan on having uh, a whole lot of people there. It's generally just going to be you working.
1: Pretty much. It's a, it's more of a private facility. There's very few close clients, friends that I would actually bring over to it. For the most part, I, I, I really try to separate my, my work life with my home life. Uh, you know, when I, when I very first started out, doing this kind of stuff. Um, I started off with a home studio and I had people coming over my house and and doing that whole thing. And and I just don't really want to go back there, especially with the family now. I don't want people to know where necessarily I live and that kind of stuff. So I I just assume keep this just for me. And and if a client needs to be present for something, I've got the school to work out of. That's an ideal situation. You know, the other thing of it is when people start knowing where you live, they feel like they can just come over whenever. Oh. and, and, And... It's bad enough where I, at this point, I don't even give my cell phone to client, my cell phone number to clients because I've done that in the past and I get calls at two o'clock in the morning saying, Hey, you know, we're just coming out of the club. We had this great idea for a song. Can we come into the studio? I'm like, no, I'm sleeping. (laughs) Wow. Okay. (laughs) You know, so, so, so I've kind of steered away from that. It, It just got really difficult to, to, uh, ever have personal time, you know? You know, this was going back. I I had those problems when I first opened the studio more so than I have in the last few years. And and back then, I was doing, I guess, I was doing stuff cheaper because I was a new studio, Mm -hmm. and so so it was a little bit more affordable. And so I was getting everybody and their brother that wanted to do stuff. It was one of those things where I just got to the point where I was like, you know, I don't, I don't want to deal with all these people anymore. It was almost too much for what I was doing. I, I was doing a lot of little sessions. It was stuff that was three, four sessions a day that were lasting three or four hours each. So on, on a Saturday, I mean, I I'd do four sessions. I'd be working 16 hours and four totally different clients, you know, and it just started to be, it's not that it was bad because the money, was great, but it, it just started to be difficult physically and mentally. So I ended up just kind of backing off a little bit, raised my rates a little bit and, and that weeded out some of the clients that I really didn't want to work with anymore. And, and it, uh, made the workflow come, come down a little bit and I still was making the same amount of money again. Um, so it kind of, kind of worked out and evened itself out fairly well.
0: As you have had these experiences over the years of working, having a studio, do you sometimes think that there are pitfalls to having a studio as opposed to just being a, a freelancer with just like a home mix mix room.
1: Yeah, uh, the studio is great. It, it it's opened a lot of doors for me. Uh, it, it's got me a lot of work when I probably couldn't have necessarily got work. But on the same hand, running a recording studio is no different than running a McDonald's. You still have to come in from nine o'clock in the morning and stay till five o'clock in the afternoon and answer phones and pay bills and advertise and do everything that is, goes with running a normal business. Our product is just different. That's the only real difference between a recording studio versus any other business out there. Uh, Somebody still has to be there taking care of business. And I, and I found one of the issues is when people do call, especially if you get people that are cold calling, just looking on the internet or looking through a phone book, trying to find recording studios in your area. If you're not there to answer the phone, they just move on to the next studio that's listed and kind of whoever answers the phone first usually gets the job. So, Mm. so, you know, it was for me, it was very important. Even if I didn't have stuff booked in the studio, I was there at the studio answering phones and answering emails and, and doing everything I could to stay on top of the business stuff. Not to mention, maintenance, all the maintenance of the gear took, uh, the cost of all the gear, you know, that, that's the one thing I really like about freelancing. places is I don't really have to have gear. I can just walk in and, and the studio's got everything, you know, I might have one or two key pieces of mine that I like to take, but you know, I don't, I don't have to do a whole lot of that. Uh, you know, where at the studio it's like, you know, I, I don't, I don't usually sell gear because I never know when somebody wanted to use something again. You know, I, I I have stacks and stacks of stuff that I personally don't use anymore, but, you know, it's either not worth getting rid of or saving it just for that one client that, oh, I wish I had one of these available. Well, here, hold on a second. Let me go grab it. You know, as a new parent,
0: I'm assuming that you're going through a lot of moments of, you know, evaluating how it's all working. Yes. Uh, have you had any new
1: realizations? Um, I don't know if they've necessarily been realizations at all. I I mean, I'm, I'm lucky enough to where I'm still able to do what I want to do. Um, but definitely finding time to do it is a lot harder. I can't work every day during the day anymore, you know, uh, because I, I am taking care of my son definitely makes it a, a lot harder. And it's gotten to the point, you, know, you you have those days where you're like, God, I'm never going to be able to do this again. You know, there's just so much going on. I have no time. We've, you know, you, you, you watch, I watch my son during the day. Then by the time uh, my wife gets home, we've got to go do this and do that and get this taken care of. And, and before you know it, it's, it's eight, nine o'clock at night and I'm tired. I don't feel like going out and doing work, <laughs> you know, and it's just like, you know, you start debating if, if you can put stuff off to the next day or what jobs you might take based off your schedule. Mm -hmm. Um, And and my, my big fear is that, you know, if I don't take certain jobs that eventually the work will dry up and and I won't be able to have any more, I have to kind of start all over again with that first client again and, and branch out. Like I talked earlier about, you know, this project leading to that project again, Uh, that that's what worries me is, is that, uh, you know, if I start slowing down too much, um, I'll be forgotten about. You know.
0: I understand that fear. You know, I think um I don't know, part of me, part of me just from from the perspective of I guess it depends on where your clients are coming from. Like certain clients, if you if you kind of drop off the map, I guess they're gonna forget about you. But I, I would also argue that it it might even present an opportunity to take on some new clients and you're uh well you're more in Silicon Valley than I am. I'm further up north and I gotta ask, do you do any kind of corporate work for any Silicon Valley clients?
1: I, I do actually. Um, I, I got into doing a bunch of voiceover work for iPad apps, uh, and that that was actually really good stuff. I, I I'm, last I heard, uh, we just finished one this last summer, and, and it sounded like this was going to be this company's last one that they were doing. They're they're basically making uh, iPad apps for children, and more specifically autistic children that, uh, teaches them visual, uh, stuff and, and touch and stuff. So it'd be stuff, you know, stuff like, uh, find the monkey with a red hat, touch him, And there'd be three monkeys on a screen and the kid has to find the one with the red hat and touch it. And and just a lot of one liners. And, and this was great work. I mean, it, it was, it was fairly simple. A lot of editing didn't take up a lot of time to record and paid really, really well. It, it was really good stuff. I also do uh, some music on hold CDs for certain companies. Uh, people call up and get put on hold, and there's some music playing in the background with somebody talking about the company over it. You know, I've done several of those over the years. Uh, so there, there is that kind of stuff out there. I, I've always wanted to get more into the corporate world because I think it is, there's is a lot of money to be made out there doing recordings for them. At this point, it may be a little harder for me to get into right now again. Because it is a lot more the corporate world's nine to five, you know, in this area, and that's unfortunately right in my time frame where I'm. I don't have a whole lot of time, but uh, I'm definitely definitely open to keeping that up and, and doing more of it, though. You know, it's something I do and enjoy doing. Um, it's not as fun as say working with a band for a month, but true, you know, true. How often does that happen anymore? <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's interesting.
0: Um, it's kind of this funny period right now for you because. It's first of all, I, not to, you know, of course, forget about the the whole brilliance of being a, a new parent and getting to spend time with this new creature who's, you know, it's pretty amazing, mm-hmm. stressful, but pretty damn amazing. It also provides a lot of time for reflection about like formulating different business ideas, different, you know, workflows. And how am I going to structure my audio career? Yes, so that time away is i that's where i see the silver lining on it is the kind of reevaluation period
1: yeah it, it, and that's that's something that's definitely definitely happening you know trying to figure out the balance between the two and and um figure out ways to where i can still do both very well um you know it, it's it's a constant struggle and, and being that i'm really only 5 months into this whole thing and i'm sure i've got at least four or five more years before my my kid goes off to school (laughs) and I get more time during the day. There's still a lot of stuff that's going to figure out, you know, to figure out the, you know, and it's funny because he's changing on a daily basis. So just keeping up with what he's changing with is is a lot of work. It is.
0: Um, (laughs) Does it make you think about taking on more mixing and mastering?
1: It does. I really want to do a lot more mixing, a lot more mastering, especially the mixing. I really enjoy mixing. Um, Mastering, I, I... do. I feel like I'm decent at it, but I wouldn't say that I'm a complete mastering engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, for a lot of the smaller independent projects, I think I'm great. If it was a big project, uh, I, I think I might encourage them to go see somebody else just to make sure it's done right. I, and, and again, it's not that I don't think I can do it right. It's just, uh you know, it's one of those things where, you know, you get that far into a project, you've you've been listening to it for a long period of time. You know, and it's nice to have a good perspective on it, especially if it's a quick project. Uh, If it's something that's been dragged out over the last year that I've been working on, I'm like, let's just master it. (laughs) You know, I've forgotten about what this sounds like by now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right, Andy
0: DeGuara here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. We're going to take a little pause here from our interview and just want to do a sponsor break with our friends over at Audio Technica. And since it is the holiday time, I do want to, of course, bring your attention to the fact that headphones that I've been using for a couple of years now, Audio-Technica ATH-M40Xs, are on sale. Well, I don't know if they're on sale, but anyways, they are priced at $78.80, I'm noticing, over at Amazon.com. I have a link on the uh, WCA Recommends page if you want to grab yourself a pair. I uh, was talking to our uh, friend, Rob Schnaff, and uh, Rob was hitting me up over email saying, hey, man, I need some new headphones. What do you think? And I gave him my opinion and shot him that link and said, 7880, how can you go wrong? I mean, really? Um, so, yeah, check it out. Link is on the WCA Recommends page. Go on over there. Click. Have a, have a look. See what you think. Read the reviews. Thousand eighty customer reviews. Do you all look at the reviews? I do. I that's I've always find that fascinating. I always look at the very worst and the very best. So always interesting to see what people say. But anyways, my review. I love these headphones, and uh, I just can't stop raving about them because I think uh, I think they really do the trick. So there you go. Uh, Audio Technica ATH M40X headphones over at Amazon.com. Uh, I got a link. Seventy eight dollars and eighty cents. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, maybe I'll get myself another pair, actually. Uh, that's it. Well, let's get back into it here with our friend Andy DeGuara at AD and Studios here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. I wanted to ask you a little more about your uh, your tough shed and, and building your your place out. Yes. So uh, I assume you own your home then? Yes, yes. For the permitting process, did you have to get permits?
1: Uh, technically, I did through this what the city requires for permits, uh, basically anything that's a bigger than uh, 10 by 12 and above 8 feet tall, um, mm. I need to have – they require a permit. Um, it, it, it's really funny because I really was scared of the whole permitting process when I, when I got it. But at the same token, I didn't want to spend the money that I was spending on this place uh, and not get a permit and then have somebody complain and they make me tear it down or something. <laughs> so, you know, that, that would have been my luck. I know it, you know, you know, with with that in mind, I I I went through the process and it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. The inspectors that came out to inspect everything were really cool. They understood what was going on. They understand that I'm a homeowner. This is I'm building this myself. I'm not having a huge construction company come and build this whole thing. They kind of understood what was going on and and they work with you a little bit. Uh, The guys behind the counter at the city, not quite so much. You know, they got to make sure everything's on paper and approved the right way and says this and says that. And that was a little bit more, more of a a, a painstaking process. You know, I I started my process to, to build this place in February. Uh, Got the plans from Tough Shed in, uh, I believe it was late March and started the, the, permitting process at that point and I didn't get approved for the permit till, uh middle June so it was uh, definitely a few back and forth and plan changes and this and that and finally once once everything got approved it was a fairly quick process you know they came in the tough shed came out walls are pre pre-built they just tilt them up uh, they had this place built in a day you know and that after, after that it was basically up to me to do all the electrical I, I had an electrician buddy of mine come in and run all the electrical for me uh, and then I did all the insulation, sheetrock myself, uh, all the finishing work myself, and uh, yeah, I mean, I've maybe total with all the materials and everything, I've got ten, twelve thousand dollars in this place.
0: What about the framing? Did was there any framing? To Tough Shed took
1: care of all that for me.
0: Oh, so the the walls they put up are actually just open. They're there two
1: by four construction, open frame walls with siding on the outside. Uh, they put the roof on, shingled it, everything. So so basically, when I when I took ownership of it, it was an open shell. They had their door on the front of it, which is like a barn door type thing. I took that off and replaced it with a soundproof steel door and, and then built out the inside myself. Your plans
0: for the tough shit thing, did you have the inside plotted out how you wanted it or did you just kind of look at it and
1: guess? I had a, pretty much was plotted out from the beginning. fact that I did go through the city and had to get plans approved, there were certain things I had to have in the plans. For instance, like the the. Closet wall in the back that I put up to create that closet space for storage, that had to be in the plans. I had to have my basic rough electrical in the plans where I wanted outlets, where I wanted switches, all that kind of stuff in the plans. And then there were certain things that that didn't need to be in the plans, like like the front of my room. In each corner, I built soffits because I have a couple of uh, big Yeri eight eleven speakers. That I softened mounted, spring spring loaded, softened mounted them. Basically built a false wall all the way up that works as a base trap from floor to ceiling. That kind of stuff didn't have to be in the plans.
0: Can you explain that the the spring loaded? So yeah, aspect of that. So what
1: I what I did is I from hanging from the roof, I've got these mounts, and it's a it's a rubber mount with a steel bracket in it, and it's attaches with a, a, a spring. And so you put the uh, bolt through the roof. And bolt it to the top, and then there's a spring that sits on the two rubber mounts, and then hanging from the bottom rubber mount is another bracket that uh, you can bolt like all thread through, and they're hanging down. I got four of them hanging down and I create a platform to set the speaker on. You put it on it, so the whole splat, the whole speaker now is is totally independent from the wall. Any vibration that happens uh, doesn't vibrate the rest of the room or the walls or anything like that. So it, it's completely completely isolated from from the building itself. Wow. Yeah. I kind of went all out with this place. You know, it was one of those things where I'm like, I'm going to be here a long time. Let's do it right.
0: <laughs> uh-huh. What about air conditioning? Did you add air conditioning to your tough shed?
1: Not yet. I've wired it in. I had planned to, I had planned to do it. Um, I'm going to do one of those uh, Mitsubishi ductless units. Um, Gives you heating and air conditioning. And they're, they're a quiet unit. I've got a spot in the back of the wall here for it. Those are great. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, those are really good. They're fairly quiet uh, and they're fairly inexpensive. My biggest issue that I had is when I built this place, it was coming into the st- summer months and I couldn't find uh, a guy that had time to come out and put it in <laughs> for me. So, so now that there's actually time for them to come out, it's like cold and wintry. So <laughs> I don't need it.
0: <laughs> yeah. That, and those are possibly the times you can maybe get a break on the rate.
1: Exactly. So, so I've got, I've got my ear. You know, open for for some deals on that, and I'm working on getting that. Uh, hopefully by this next summer, it will be installed and, and ready to go. Uh, the The good news is because this place is so insulated, um, it stays relatively cool. That's right. <laughs> of course, until right. you turn on all the gear.
0: Um, <laughs> do you have a separate machine room? Do, do you have a computer in or do you or is your computer fairly quiet?
1: It's a fairly quiet computer. It's a liquid cooled computer, so it's it's a little quieter than uh, a normal computer with all the fans and stuff. It's in the same room is okay. uh, the control room here. Oh, are um, you on a PC? Yeah, I'm on a Mac. Oh, you're on a Mac. It's a custom built Mac. Ah, it's a
0: custom built Mac.
1: <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. I, I I've got a buddy that that's building these things specifically for uh, for audio guys and video guys, and he's doing phenomenal jobs with these things and. Uh, you can't beat them. You really can't. It's a great computer. Great. Everything about it's good. It's, it's cool. Very cool. That's cool.
0: Um, did you do any kind of isolated grounding with, uh, the electrical or did you just do it sh- just straight?
1: Um, I've, I did do all my plugs are isolated grounds. Um, okay. I, I have room to put a new grounding rod if need be. Uh, but as of right now, I haven't needed it. I haven't had any ground looping problems. Um, I did work pretty hard on that to make sure it was, everything was right. I put my own electrical panel in, in this, in the studio here that ties back to the main panel of the house, that panel, the panel in the studio here has its own ground. And then from there, the, uh, all the plugs are one walls on, on one breaker, one walls on another breaker, those grounds tied together. Each plug has its own isolated ground that goes back to the box. So um, if need be, it's set up, you know, all the grounds, since they're isolated grounds, they have the independent wires go into each ground. Uh, I made sure I ran the wires pretty much the same length from every plug. So that way, there one plug didn't have a longer wire than the other plug. Uh, so that way, there, if I ever did have to put another grounding rod in, I could tie those together and it'd be perfect. I didn't have to worry about it.
0: I gotta ask, word your knowledge of building a studio. <laughs> what's your background in regards to that?
1: Uh, just a, a fairly handy person as far as constructions concerned. Um, I I actually did go to a recording school. I went to the Conservatory of Recording Arts and Science back in the late nineties. And graduated from there. It was a great program, and they taught me a lot about uh, that kind of stuff. But a lot of it, you know, I've taken what I've learned from there onto the next level. You know, this is my second full studio that I've pretty much built at this point. Uh, The first one I, I had some knowledge with, and I feel like I did a fairly good job building it. But I also found problems over the years of where I had to go back and fix stuff and research stuff. So a lot of it's just talking to a lot of people, you know, people that have done this before, um, going to things like AES, NAM, tape op conventions like that, talking to people out there when I'm having issues with certain things and, and finding solutions. Uh you've been in business
0: and and for a while now. And I gotta ask, you know, are there certain things you've learned along the way business-wise? I mean, apart from all the fun stuff about gear and studio building and all that, whether it's taxes or money management as it pertains to the studio, any bits of knowledge that you can talk about that maybe you know somebody listening from a student perspective would uh, you know benefit from?
1: I'm very lucky in the fact that I come from uh, my parents who have owned a, a small family business for forty years, and so. Growing up, I saw how they ran their business and I've always kind of been watching it and, and not necessarily a part of it, but seeing how it happened. And so when it came time to do taxes and stuff like that, I I had a place where I can start with. I was able to go, hey, dad, well, you know, who you guys use for your taxes? Can you introduce me to them? I need help. <laughs> and so so I had an outlet to to uh, of people I can go to right away, which was very, very useful. But you know, like I said earlier, a lot of it is just your typical running of a business. I mean, it, it, the, the day-to-day stuff uh, isn't any different for this business as it is anything else. Um, so you definitely, if you're trying to get into something like this, you definitely have to have some business skills and, and knowledge of, of how to do things. And, and uh, you know, you can get basic knowledge Taking music business classes at your local community college and stuff—that's always good because that's that that kind of opens up stuff that you wouldn't necessarily know. But as far as trying to uh, tell people what to, what to kind of look out for is, it, it, it's hard for me to say exactly one thing because I I like I said I kind of fell into it right away, you know, having the help in, in of my parents. You know, guidance and stuff. Whenever I need something, it's just like, oh, you just need to do this or you need to do that. Uh, I've never really had anybody that that has worked for me, so I've never had to worry about like workman's comp type stuff. I would definitely recommend now that I'm getting older that if you got anybody that's looking to try to do this, uh, look into some kind of re- retirement type fund because uh, <laughs> there isn't much of one in this industry. <laughs> You know, just put away whatever you can and, and don't over overspend yourself. You know, that's that's one thing that I've been very fortunate about is all even with all the gear that I have and all the uh, stuff I've built and everything, um, I've never really gone into any major amount of debt for it all. You know, the most uh, I think I've ever been in debt was uh, when I bought my console, I had to get a small line of credit for like less than $10,000 or so. And, and that was paid off within a year and a half. So... You know, is one of those things where, where, you know, don't, don't overextend yourself financially in this stuff uh, and just keep track of everything that you, that you do spend because uh, a lot of it is, is tax write offable. You can write it off in your taxes and, and, and hopefully get some of it back or, or. At the very least, not pay anything more.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, and how have you resisted, you know, the gear lust over the years?
1: I don't know if I have.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You've just managed to figure out a way to afford it and not go into debt for it.
1: Exactly. Exactly. You know, I actually got real lucky when I got into this industry. it was when I started really getting into recording and having a home studio and stuff. It was mid to late nineties. And so Tascam DA38s, d 88s were out. ADATs were out. Uh, Mackie mixing boards were out. And so for, you know, not a whole lot of money, you could have a fairly good recording studio for nothing. You didn't, you didn't have to spend $80,000 on a two inch analog tape machine and, and $150,000 on, on a console at that time anymore. You know, a Mackie 3208 was, you know, three grand, you know, a, a task MDA 38 was, was $2,500. So for 5,000 bucks, you can have a recording studio of eight tracks. And I got lucky in that sense. And that's when, that's when I got into it. You know, uh, I started off with eight tracks, uh, eventually realized I needed to have more than eight tracks. Uh, so I bought Two more Task AMD thirty eights. 38s uh, and you know to be able to do that, I had income coming in, uh, but I was able to get into a lease for for the two machines. Um, and eventually, when the lease was over, I ended up buying them out, uh, which probably cost me a little bit more money than I really needed to. But I had so much material on them. I, at that point I needed to have the machines and I didn't want to spend more money on new machines at that point. So I went, went that route. Then, uh, early two thousands came along and, and, uh, a buddy of mine that was working at guitar centers called me up one day and said, Hey, we just got this, uh, pro tools mix plus system in, uh, you know, somebody special ordered it and then canceled it. So we're blowing it out really cheap. Are you interested? And, and I looked at that and at that point, again, I didn't have any debt on anything. So I was like, yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's make the step over. So I, I purchased that and, and I think I put it on a credit card and, and again for, you know, a few months later had it paid off and uh, so on and so forth. And just, you know th- those have been the big purchases. You know the 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 da 38s when I first started in the 90s, the Pro Tools system when I upgraded that, and then uh, my console, my Atari Series 54 when I purchased that. Those have been the three biggest purchases of the studio that I've had to ever finance in any way. Uh, everything else I've I've been able to buy. I I, I I stumble across across things at good times a lot of times. You know I came across a uh, two inch 24 track Studer A80. Uh, back in I think it was 2003 or so, and, and um, I think I paid 2,500 dollars for it, which was really good. You know, uh, it was a great price, and uh, you know I worked out. I worked out. It was 2,500 and a little bit of trade for something else, and, and that that worked great. My my console, same type of thing. I, I I was buying the console. The studio I was buying the console out of was was closing down. Uh, I just happened to ask guys had a whole bunch of wiring that goes to this thing. He hadn't pulled out yet. All the rest of the gear was out of the studio. I was like, well, what are you doing with all this wiring? He's like, Oh, just getting rid of him. Well, do you mind if I take it with the console? I ended up probably getting $5,000 worth of Megami wiring for free with the console. Wow, <laughs> That's great. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I've been lucky in that sense to where I've come across deals at good times where I actually have cash in my pocket and can afford to buy stuff or, or, and stuff like that. So there's not really a whole lot of stuff that. Uh, don't get me wrong, I have a a very long list of stuff I still want, <laughs> but it's nothing that I'm like, oh, I have to have this right now. You know, I'll I'll wait around for it and see if I ever find it on a deal or or you know eventually have the money for it. I'll 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 buy it. I I, I tend to think my spending habit may change a little bit now that I do have a son because I have to put a little bit more money towards home than, than the business at this point.
0: Are you a good saver? I think I am. Yeah. Do you think that that's just a mindset that, that one, you know, some people just like they get paid and then they turn that, you know, they pay their expenses and then they turn around and, and spend that money like as soon as it hits their pocket.
1: Yeah. And I'm definitely not like that. I like to, I like to hold on to my money as long as I can. You know, I, it's funny cause I don't mind spending money when I want something. Um, but as far as just buying stuff to have it, I'm not big on, big on anything like that. And I, I think it's funny because I think this is another lesson I kind of learned from my parents in their business. Uh, my, my dad owns a plating shop and, and this industry has gone up up and down a lot over the last 20 years or so. In the late 90s, you had the big uh, dot-com bubble start and everything. A- and so their business was going through the roof. They were had three, four-week waiting lists to get turnaround stuff out. And then when that, when that bubble bursted, they got really slow. And uh, a lot of companies that were doing the same type of stuff he was doing was closing down. And I saw how he was able to save money to keep his business going when things got slow. And and cool. so I've kind of, in a sense, took a page out of his book on that and, and kind of did the same thing. You know, I've always saved money as much as I could to, uh, you know, even, even though like the Things I'm buying, uh, like the console and stuff, you know, yeah, I took out a loan for that, but at the same token, I had a few thousand dollars stashed away that I could have put directly towards it, but I didn't because, you know, the way the interest rate worked out and stuff, I was better off having a little stash than I was, you know, having to pay it all out front. And then if something came up, I was screwed. You know, couldn't do nothing Mm -hmm. about it. So I've always liked to keep some money tucked away for that rainy day situation. Something that happens... Things get slow. Who knows? You know. At the same token, I, I'm also the type of person that where if a client is looking for something, I, I, I've been a strong believer of if you're paying me to do a job, and you're expecting a certain piece of equipment, if I don't have it, I need to go out and get it. Hmm. <laughs> so um, it, that that's I've spent a lot of money doing that over the years as well. <laughs> what
0: do you think the future holds for you in terms of like? Do you think you'll pretty much stay on track with how you're doing things or do you, do you foresee some possibility of, of change that you'd like to do?
1: Um, I think right now things are going to pretty much stay on track for the most part. I'm working on getting into more of the freelance engineering. Uh, You know, I'm really promoting that side of two, two ways because I can go to other studios and do the recordings, but also have this facility here at home to do the mixing at. Um, I'm really trying to push that a lot more. Uh, not that I don't like working out of the school. I really like working out of the school and stuff, but I also like getting in other studios. Uh, to me, it feel like it kind of keeps me a little more fresh having to think about what I'm doing again rather than just, oh, this is the way I normally do it. Let's just do it. Uh, you kind of you know, lose your chops a little bit. That way, sometimes I feel.
0: <laughs> What's your assessment of the health of the studio scene in Silicon Valley, with all the growth that is that is constantly happening, and the threat of developers wanting to build condos in places where studios existed?
1: in In the South Bay area, there's not really a whole lot of recording studios. Um, my my room, I think I feel is one of the biggest best rooms down there. I I don't know of any other really large format consoles down here. There's several studios, smaller home studios, project studios, uh, around and stuff. Um, that's the problem is the real estate cost out here. You know, when, when you have, uh, rents costing what it does. I mean, when I closed my place down, I was really looking to to rent out another building and and put another studio in it. And I started looking at the cost of what rent was at these places. And and the best place I could find was a place over right in the flight path of San Jose airport that I would have to spend like three times the amount more money soundproofing because of that. And, And I'd only get a lease that was good for three years maybe. And then they had the right to jack up the rent even more when that three years was up. So I couldn't see myself spending fifty, a hundred thousand dollars into building out a studio to in three years have to move out and not take any of that stuff with me. Um, it just it didn't make sense to me anymore. You know, uh, as much as I loved having a studio and having my own room that was pers- my my room, I was could do what it, with it what I wanted. Um, it was great. I just I can't afford to spend that kind of money around here, and and that's the problem with the South Bay, especially, is that there's starting to be less and less studios out here even the project ones just because people can't afford to to be out here and it's funny cuz there is there is music out here there is a need for the studios out here i i think it's just the affordability is what what's going to kill it for everybody i i really don't know how long all these places down here are going to are going to last interesting
0: well, cool, man. Thanks for taking the time to do this. I appreciate it. So you have my email, and uh, if you have any questions or anything pops up, feel free to call me or email me or whatever.
1: Cool. Sounds good. All right. And I'll uh, work on getting all this stuff together and out to you, hopefully, uh, within the next day or two. Perfect. Okay. All right, man. All right, Matt. Take care. See you later. See ya. Bye.
0: Andy DeGuara here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. I certainly hope you enjoyed that. Love the tough shit story. That's so cool. Really interesting. I want to build a tough shed now. I don't know about you. Anyhow, we're out of time. So we got to thank everybody. So we want to, of course, thank Cliff Truesdell, Chuck Smith, Cole Williams, you know, the whole crew. And, of course, we want to thank our sponsors, Gearsluts.com, Audio Technica, Universal Audio, and Focal Monitors. And, of course, I always got to say thank you to you. I appreciate it. You know I do. And uh, thanks for listening. Take care.